Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. benefits that, that he shares with us that, that, we're, that we receive from those disciplines. Now this morning we're going to be looking at, at Scripture, going back to, to Scripture, and, and the, the theme of, of this subject is the trustworthiness of Scripture. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be digging into some apologetics. Now apologetics, we're going to be dipping like our toe into the kiddie pool of apologetics. That this is not going to be like a headlong delving into apologetics. And if you're not sure what apologetics is, here's the definition. The reasoned arguments or writings and justification for something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. That, that there are people out there that are like way deep into apologetics and they're looking at the writings and they're pulling things apart and they're comparing it, uh, theology and doctrine and, and really tearing it apart and trying to figure out what, what God is saying there. And and, and I am very grateful for the people that do that. I enjoy apologetics, but I'm not necessarily the one that's going to be studying apologetics. I like to read what other people have, have studied and, and presented forward. And this morning, that's what I'm going to do. Is I'm, going to, I'm going to be sharing you with some information that, that people way smarter than me have, have uh, come up with, that, that God has blessed them with to, to be able to present to the world at large. And I'm going to take some of, that, uh, some of the information that they've provided and deliver to you as well. Now, one of the things I want to share here is, is that when it comes to apologetics, uh, apologetics had, had an impact on, on my life. I'll talk more about that in the back end. But it wasn't the only thing that, that sometimes when it comes to uh, proof or justification that, that, that people will, will think that, like, well, if I can have the proof, I get, if I can have the justification, that is going to transform my life. And, and often that's just not the case. That's, that's not necessarily how apologetics work, that, that even through this, this message here, my hope is, is that you get some information and some insight that will encourage you in your walk, that will encourage you in your scripture reading, that will encourage you in your trust. But, but apologetics on its own is not necessarily the path to uh, revival. That we can go back to, well, what is? Well, it's, well, it's prayer and it's scripture reading, all focused on Jesus. That, that it's, it's our relationship with him, that it's the beginning of a relationship with him, that that, that starts to change. Apologetics can feed into that, but it's not, it's not the transformational cause, right? Um, but we'll talk more about that on the back end. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to be looking at, at uh, seven different things that will, will hopefully kind of reinforce the trustworthiness of Scripture. Now, one of the things that that, that we can walk into as, as believers is that the world will tell us that, you know, it's just not true. The Bible's not true, that, that there's some good stories in there, but it's not really accurate. It can't be trusted. Um, it's just been messed up over the years. And, and, and this is a, a culture that is, is tainted and influenced by Satan. We'll just go there. That he doesn't want us to believe. He doesn't want people to believe. He doesn't want people to trust. So so the, the overwhelming structure of culture is pushing away from that. And, and, and I used to be one of those people. So when I was, 
when I was my daughter's age and, and, and a little bit older, I was a rabid atheist, and, and I was like an atheistic apologist. So I would learn enough of Scripture just to screw with you Christians because you had absolutely no clue what you were talking about. And, and I was a jerk. I was, I was a complete and utter jerk. And I would, I would, I would have these apolo- uh, atheistic apologistic arguments to, to just make your life miserable. And... Uh, and, that, and that's what culture is. That's what, that's what culture does. I was, I was like full-blown antagonistic, but if we look at uh, what's on TV, what's in music, what's on uh, in, in movies, if we look at the things that culture celebrates, it's all antagonistic towards the faith. It's all antagonistic towards uh, the, the, the convictions of, of Scripture and and, and tries to pull us away and push us away from what is true. But when we look at Scripture, when we look at the claims of Scripture, we, we see that, that his, his word is strong. So Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That we're going to be bombarded left and right. By, by people and systems that are trying to, to show us that, that this is tr- not true, that it's false, that it's just like it's old and useless. But Matthew says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So this morning we're going we're gonna to look at seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. Uh, at, the, at the back end of, of it, I'm going to give you some names of, of people and resources that, that if you want to delve deeper into some of these topics, they're, they're great resources. Uh, the first thing that I'm going to look at, though, today is, is that when it comes to Scripture, it is historically accurate. Now, this flies in the face of the people that say, you know, the, the, the Bible has great principles, but the stories are just made up, that, they're, that they're, they're not really real. But if we look at the Gospels, you know, the, the Gospels were written by people that were there. So, so the first aspect of being historically accurate is that they're the eyewitness accounts. The gospel writers were there. They lived and walked with Jesus. They were interacting with people that lived and walked with Jesus. These weren't stories that were, that were coming from 150 years later. These were coming from the people that were actually there. They didn't collaborate on, on writing their gospels, but, but man, they are, they are in line. Granted, the, so some of the details are different, the things that they decided to share, but it's, but it's from the personal experience and what God was telling them to write. And, and you can look at it, it's like, you know, they, they, carried this, they carried this tradition. Early believers carried this tradition that, that this was true, that this was the real thing. Uh, Chuck Colson, who was uh, a guy that was interacting with uh, Watergate, so he was, Chuck Colson was, was one of the officials that, that was dealing with Nixon, and, and he had this, this brilliant quote on, on the validity of Scripture. So he says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would, have, they would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most important men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. These people were there. These people saw, wrote, and believed and held to it. 
that it wouldn't take long for me to tap uncle to, to, to most things, even if I believed it was true. I'm, I'm a wuss. But they were there. They were totally there. The second aspect of seeing something being historically accurate is that, that the information was recorded and copied with extreme care. So when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament was, God gave it the writing of the Old Testament and the management of the Old Testament to, to the Jewish scribes who were impeccable when it came to writing out, copying over the scripture. So, so the Jewish scribes would take the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and they knew that first five books, not just word for word, but letter for letter. So they would write out all five books, and they knew what the middle letter was. They'd go to the middle letter, and then they would count both ways, and if the numbers didn't add up right, they chucked it and started over again. But they were precise. And, and we can look at some of the, uh, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is like the latest copy of the Old Testament that we have, and, and, and they can see it lines up perfectly, that there's no variation, that that the, the concept that, well, it changed over the, over the, the centuries is like, it's just not true. It's, it's a myth. It's, it is accurate. The third aspect is archaeological confirmation. Archaeologists are, are still excavating biblical areas, and they are finding uh, areas of, that, that are in the biblical story, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, that there are 53 Old Testament characters that have been confirmed archaeologically archaeologically. King David, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, there are all archaeological finds that support their existence. Now, now you're not, they're, they're not going to find archaeological evidence of, of Jesus. Jesus was ultimately just a carpenter. He was a dude. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to find, well, this was, these were his shoes or this was his thing. It's that, that that's not there, but, but we're finding archaeological evidence to show that scripture is is accurate, and they're continuing to find more stuff. There are some, some brilliant websites that show the finds that they've had, but it helps support that the scripture is historically accurate. Next, scripture is scientifically accurate. God is the God of the universe and creator of everything, and, and that means he created the laws, the laws of science and physics. He created uh, the, the body and the stars, when, and, and what the Bible says in there can't be contradicted. However, the, what we see is, is historically, when it comes to the scientific uh, aspects, that, that the science of the day was different than what was in Scripture. Now, science is constantly shifting. Science is constantly evolving. Nobody here uh, who's, who used a third-grade science book when you were in elementary school, they're not using that same science book because it's changed. Things are different. That, that I'm going to assume the, the stuff that my daughter, who is in ninth grade, <laughs> that her third grade science books are probably not being used anymore because things change. But when it comes to scripture, it doesn't change. Psalm 148, 5 through 6 says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Science changes, but God's word doesn't. So I'm just going to look at some, some, some interesting tidbits of, of scientific information that has uh, shifted a little bit. Raise your hand if you're a flat earther. No flat earthers here. Well, I got one pastor's daughter is a flat earther. So flat earthers are people that believe that the earth is flat, that it's not a, not a globe. So flat, flat earthers was a thing. 
for a really long time. And, uh, and it wasn't until like the year 1500 that that shifted, that the mindset shifted, that the earth was flat, where the consensus changed. But Isaiah 40.22 says, God sits enthroned above the circle of earth, the sphere of earth, the globe of earth, that in Isaiah, God was saying, so look, it ain't flat. He wasn't saying that to deny flat earthers, but this is what was, this is what was written, right? That we can look at, you know, now, hindsight, though, they were totally wrong, and scripture was, was right. For many years throughout culture, different cultures and civilizations, the belief was that earth had to be held up by something. So the Greeks felt that the earth had to be held up by Atlas. The Hindus believed that it sat on the back of an elephant, which stood on the back of a sea turtle, on the back of a serpent, swimming through the waters. Egyptians, masterminds of engineering and architecture, thought it stood on five pillars. Now, what's interesting is that Moses, who wrote a huge chunk of the Old Testament, who was raised by Pharaoh, who was raised with Egyptian schooling and teaching, doesn't speak to that at all. That that element doesn't come up in Scripture anywhere. But if we look at Job, Job 26.7, where we see from the oldest book in the Bible, it says this, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Suspended over nothing. How did Job know? God probably told him. He let him, he let him know. Hipparchus, this dude who lived about 150 years before Christ, he counted the stars. Guess how many he counted? 1,022. He declared there were 1,022 to be exact. And then 250 years later, a guy named Ptolemy, Ptolemy proved him wrong. He counted 1,056. There were 34 more. That, that, was, that was the science. That was the belief. It wasn't for another 1,300 years later that Galileo, who, who invented the telescope, was able to look up in the sky and say, oh, there's more than can be counted. Fascinating, because in Jeremiah 33, 22, it says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. <laughs> now, as I'm sharing this stuff, you know, it, it, when, it, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible has science in it, but it's not like a science workbook. That, that if you're going to be studying astronomy, you're not going to scripture to, to, to figure out the deeper elements of, of astronomy. However, it's still speaking to it. It's still clearly speaking to it. In medical science, there's this dude named Hippocrates. Uh, he's considered the father of medicine in many ways. And he believed that diseases came from four things, black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. That those four things in the body were the cause of disease. And so with that mindset, their thing was bloodletting. So bloodletting is if you had a disease, they would drain you of the bad blood. They would try to get the bad blood out of you. George Washington actually died of complications from bloodletting. They had removed 40% of his blood. 40% because he was sick and they thought that that was going to heal him. Which is just, uh, which is just insane. But, but today we know the exact opposite is true, right? That when you're sick, what do you get? You get transfusions. You get blood. And Leviticus 17.11 says this, for the life of the body is in its blood. That's, that scripture still stands, even in these scientific areas. And one last historical comparison. So in the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague killed one out of every four people. 
Every, one out of every four people alive died. There was no concept of contagion or germs, that there, that there, was, there, there was no understanding of that. Yet the Old Testament speaks to this and was an actual practice. In Leviticus 13.4, it says, the priest will quarantine the person for seven days. That we can see in Scripture that there is scientific reasoning for, for what was done and that it, that it was a thing before anybody in that time believed that it was a thing, that the science of that day was, was, was against what, the, what Scripture was saying, and yet Scripture was true. Scripture is scientifically accurate. Next, it's prophetically accurate. Now, prophecy is, is an inter- interesting aspect, especially if, you, if it's taken from the perspective of, well, God, for, that man just planned all these things out. Man just tried to figure this all out. But we, if we look at Scripture, there are over 1,000 prophecies in Scripture, over 300 just with Jesus alone. And the 300 prophecies of Jesus alone have come through. And they were specific where he would live, where he was born, that he would flee, to, flee Egypt, that he would ride into Jerusalem, that there are very, very specific prophecies. David prophesied that, that Jesus would be crucified before crucifixion was a thing. That in David's time, crucifixion wasn't a thing. And yet, you can look in Scripture and see that he prophesied it. And then you start looking at the probabilities of any of this happening. So, so if you take a bag and you stick 10 coins in it, one of them is red, and you stick your hand in the bag, what are the odds of you pulling out that red coin? One in 10. It's one in 10. So if only eight of these prophecies of Jesus were to be true, that would be like taking that red coin, sticking it in a pile of coins two feet high, and then filling Texas with coins two feet high, sticking somebody in a helicopter, blindfolded, shooting them over Texas and saying, drop here, I'm going to pick up that coin, and him picking up that coin just hated the prophecies. The probability of him picking up that one coin is, is one in that many. 16 prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. If you're a math geek, you know what that means. I don't know what that means. It means a lot. <laughs> if it's 48 prophecies, it's one in 10 to the 157th power. So what that means is it's one in a trillion, 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 trillion. That that's what the odds are of just 48 of those 300 prophecies being true. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human, in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is why that is possible. It is not possible because some dude was able to figure it out and go, okay, I'm going to write this, and this will probably happen. God wrote it, and he said, this will happen. This will happen. And that's what Peter is highlighting, that how this all happened, not by man, but by God. Matthew 26, 56 says, but this is all happening to fill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. He's highlighting the why, the fulfillment of God's word happened and is happening, that some of these prophecies are still yet to play out. It doesn't mean that they're not true. It just means it's not time. It just means it's not time. Revelation 22.6 says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. 
And listen, they are soon to take place. That our concept of time is not God's concept of time. And when we look at scripture and we, and we hear Paul speaking of, you are in last days. We are in last days. That our concept of days is different than God's concept of days. And, and, and all of a sudden, we might be at the last day. And these prophecies speak to them. And it has been accurate, up to date. It is prophetically accurate, and it is, sorry, I bumped along here. It is thematically unified. So the Bible is not written by one person. It was written by a number of people over a number of years and in a number of places. And yet, it all speaks to the same place. It all speaks to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go into this deep because Aaron spoke to this last week. And if you, had, if you weren't here last week and you want to hear more about how, the script, how Scripture is thematically unified, I would encourage you to go back and listen to his sermon last week. It was excellent. And it will, it will flesh this out a little bit more. But listen, Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in all the Scriptures was concerning himself. Jesus said, this is all pointing to me. All of it. Not just some of it, not just the first five books, not just everything except for Habakkuk. Well, I don't know what Habakkuk was speaking to, but no, it's all speaking to me. It all speaks to me. It is thematically unified. Next, it is trusted by Jesus. So this is a big one here. That, that the first handful of ones, I think, are just like fascinating. They're really interesting and encouraging. When it comes to this one, this, one's, this one can be kind of like a, a punch to the gut. So scripture is trusted by Jesus. He trusted the whole Bible. Matthew 5.18 says, Jesus saying, For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, you might be saying, oh, you know, I love Jesus and his teaching and all, but everything else is just kind of like, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I can trust that. Jesus trusted that. Jesus flat out completely trusted that. And you can't, you can't trust him unless you trust the stuff that he trusts. That, that if you trust him but don't trust the Bible, you don't really trust him. If you believe what you like in the Bible but don't believe what you don't like, it's, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. You're cherry-picking. And, and that doesn't mean that, that you have to understand everything. I don't understand everything. Some of this stuff is really hard to understand. Some of this stuff is really hard to stand, understand from a perspective of, oh, I have absolutely no clue what that's talking about. And some of it's really hard to understand from, oh, that one's really hard for me to, to, to be okay with. But if I trust Jesus... And I trust the Bible because Jesus trusts the Bible. Guess what? If I've got the problem, that's my problem. Something needs to change in me. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, but we, have to, we have to trust in what he trusted in. We've turned religion into my religion. I'll believe what I want to believe. And that's, and that's just like a, an aspect of culture too, that if you can't totally rip out religion, well, let's just kind of like tweak how they think about it. If we can't get them totally away from Jesus, let's get them thinking a different way about Jesus. If we can't get them to totally disregard Scripture, let's get them thinking differently about Scripture. But, but I need to trust in it, even if I don't understand it. 
that there's all, all sorts of things that we trust in that we don't understand. I don't, I don't understand how digestion works, but, but I fully trust that when Aaron goes to Chipotle and gets his burrito after service, he's going to digest it. He's totally going to digest it. It's going to make its way through his system. We need to trust what Jesus trusts. Number six, Scripture has survived all attacks. It has been attacked from the beginning. And it is being consistently attacked in such a wide variety of ways that, that, that even today, Scripture, if we, if we look at countries that are, are trying to ban it, that are trying to squash it, that are trying to make it illegal, that, that Scripture still finds its way in. It still persists. In fact, the countries that, that have the highest persecution of believers and God's word, it's where it's thriving the most. It's where it's thriving the most because, because God's word will persist. It will survive. It will continue to, to, to grow and impact and transform. And we can look at stories through the centuries of the, of the persecution that comes from believers in God's word. And there are some amazing books out there that tell fantastic stories of how God's word just thrives in places that it should be crushed. It should be crushed. And if we look at how many Bibles are out there, so there are, there are over six billion Bibles that have been bought or given away. Six billion Another stat showed that there's 168,000 Bibles a day bought or given away. The full Bible has been translated into almost 700 languages, and the New Testament, another 1,500 languages. You'd think that's tons, right? There's 2,200 other languages that don't have a translation. 2,200 other languages on this planet right now that don't have that translation. So when you hear about people going into, into communities that are unreached people groups, the unreached people groups are people that have, have, have no experience with Christianity, no, ex, no experience with Christians, no ex, experience with, with the Bible, that there are 2,200 language groups that have none of that. And, and there are ministries out there that, that you can support, that you can participate. You might be sitting here thinking, you know, I would love to reach an unreached people group. I don't know how to do that. Well, we've got, a, we've, we've got people that, that would love to figure out how to reach the people in Honduras, and they don't know how to do that. Well, they support the people that we send going to Honduras. There are ministries out there that are looking for your support, prayer and financial support, to, to help people get into these unreached people groups, to get Bibles translated into the languages that need it because they understand the power that God's word will have when it enters a community. That, that you can see communities of people that just have little sections of scripture that are radically transformed because God's word's been brought into their presence. There are opportunities for you to participate in that. And, I, and if that is something that you're into, I would highly suggest checking it out, searching that out. If, if you need me to help search some of those out, I would totally help you there. But, but, but know that God's, God's word will survive. And you can be a, a participant in seeing God's word thrive in places that would seem it would have absolutely no place to be. Ultimately, it needs to be everywhere. It needs to be everywhere. It will continue to survive. First Peter 1 24, 25 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You are not going to shut it down. They are not going to shut it down. And you can be a part 
of making sure that doesn't happen. And last, number seven, God's word has transforming power. Transforming power. So, so, this is, so this is the big one here. That on, on the front end of, of, of this message, like I said, there's, there's some interesting tidbits and facts, but, but when it comes to the trustworthiness of, of God's word, the transforming power, the, the results of the transforming power are magnificent. So if, so if I go back to my story, I was uh, a non-believer, rabid atheist for, for, for most of the front half of my life. And, and, I, and I got to a place, I started building relationships with believers, these crazy believers. And, and these people cared about me. They weren't, they weren't what we would call Bible thumpers. They, they knew their word, but, but they cared about me. And we were able to start having conversations about, about some of this stuff because I had questions. I had questions and we were able to have these conversations. And when, it, when, when in that time period, there was, there was a, a job that I worked for where I had to drive from Tulsa to Oklahoma City once a week, back and forth. And it is a really long, really straight, really boring drive. And in that time, I got sick of listening to the same music. And I was like, well, let's listen to what these Jesus freaks have to say. And so I started listening to sermons. I started listening to God's word. And things started changing me. I started listening to this dude called Hank Hanegraaff. Anybody who know who Hank Hanegraaff is? So I'm like old. Hank Hanegraaff was the Bible answer man. And he had a radio talk show, uh, call-in show. And people would call in, and they would ask questions. And you'd have little kids calling in and asking questions about the animals on Noah's Ark. And you'd have other people calling in that were asking about the Greek-Hebrew translation, how this impacted, blah, 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 blah. And, and, uh, and it was fascinating, because some of the questions I had. And he was able to answer some of these questions. And it's like, oh, okay. Now, now Hank Hanegraaff wasn't the, the transformation, but he was an element of it. That the apologetics that he was, pre- that he was presenting was was not like, oh, here's the end-all, be-all, now I'm a believer, but, but it had some impact. It was, it was the preaching. It was listening to God's word that was, that was making the difference. And it was the people that were investing in my lives, in my, in my life, that it was Tom Farrell and Joe Tierney, my baker and my boss, that, that were having these conversations with me, that were, that were on the ball, that were ready with answers for their faith. And they, were, and they were investing in me. It was the Roberto Castro people who were praying for me behind the scenes, people that I didn't even realize were, were having an impact um, until after I became a believer. It was my wife who was, who was praying for me. That, that there were all these elements, but, but, it was, but it was ultimately God's word. God's word had transformed these people. And in the process, God's word was transforming me. And my life is radically different now. I'm still kind of a jerk, but I'm not as much of a jerk as I was back then. <laughs> that, that if you knew me back when I was 20 and you know me now, there is a significant transformation in who I am. And, and it's not because, you know, I figured out how to do whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't the things of the world that was transforming. It was, it was him. It was the power through, through his word in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where we're all now. We're still being transformed. None of us are there yet. None of us are yet. I would, I would so love to be there right now. But none of us are there yet. 
And, and we've still got to walk this path, knowing that his power is going to transform us, knowing that his, his word is strong and will live forever and will do something radical in us. And, and yet we, we still just like struggle. We chase after the things that we think are going to transform us. We, we, chase after, we chase after money. We chase after stuff. We chase after titles or the right job or the right relationships, thinking that, well, this is what's going to make everything right. That this is, this is the primary. This is the thing that we're supposed to do. And, and then when it, comes to, when it comes to Scripture, I just don't understand how it's going to make everything right, so I'm going to chase after the things that, that I think will, the things that I believe will, that our religion is, is what I believe, not necessarily what Scripture is telling us. But Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my, my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, that this is what sets us free, that the pain and the suffering that we're in will understand better either how to deal with it or how to have it go away if we know his word. His word will transform us. And then my verse for the year. So I, I, I found my verse for the year, and it has all to do with understanding. So Mark 24 has Jesus saying this. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. This is, this is what we want. This is what we're praying for you as, as, as leaders. This is what we pray for the church, is that, that you will understand more, that you will listen to him more. And the way to listen to him more is, is, through, is through your prayer, one, but, but in his word. That, this, that if you're not in his word, guess who you're not listening to? You're not hearing him speak. You're not seeing it clearly, that you're not going to understand. He wants you to understand. He wants you to understand so that you can receive even more and that you can understand even more that this is the, the path of transformation. But he goes on. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So this is striking for the church of today. This can be striking for, for, for maybe you sitting in this seat right here. If you are not listening, what little understanding you have will start to disappear you will be swayed. Your mindset, your heart set, your spirit set, your path will end up going in a direction that ultimately you don't want it to go, whether or not you can, you can think of it that way or not. It's going to go in a direction that you want to go, and then you're going to start doubting more and more, stepping further and further away, suffering more and more, thinking that what you're chasing after is going to get you closer and closer and closer to what it is that you really want. And it's not necessarily a big marathon race, you know, a sprint to the end. It's just like one other step and another step. And where you were is like way over there now. Then instead of being in his light, oh, I'm over here in the dark, and that's just where I'm stuck now. but he wants you close to him. He wants you listening to him. He, he wants to give you understanding. It's not like he's holding it back and making you jump through hoops and like if you do the right thing, oh, here's a little bit. It's like here. It's right here. Look here. Listen here. Follow here. Be obedient here. Discipline yourself to stand here. And those are wretched words, discipline and obedience. 
yeah. Discipline and obedience. But, but discipline and obedience gets us places. You know, if we look from a worldly perspective, so, so my daughter's sitting over here, and this morning from 8 to 10, she went to tennis practice. So she did a tennis clinic uh, Sunday morning. On Friday night, she did a tennis clinic from 4 to 6. On Tuesday, she'll do a private lesson, and, and good grief, we'll probably squeeze in another hour of tennis in there somewhere. That There is a focus of discipline. And where that's going to get her is to beat her, if she was competing next year, in tennis that she's got a focus of discipline. She's spending time listening to her coaches. She's in investing the time and energy and, and mindset into learning how to be a better tennis player. And she will benefit from that. She will grow. She will come better. She will understand why she has to do these things to make the serve harder, hit faster, and just be better. Jason, so I was picking on Jason Woodland this morning because he was over there, and, and he just looks so buff and beautiful. I totally have a man crush on Jason Woodland. But that doesn't come by accident. That does not come by accident. That does not come from a lack of understanding. That comes from discipline. That comes from obedience. That comes from knowing what he wants, and going for it. In this case, you want to know what God wants for you. What does God want for you? What does Jesus want for you? Well, he's telling you. He wants you to be his disciple, really his disciple. Not just a Sunday morning disciple. He wants you to be his disciple. And the outcome is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Good grief, who wants to be free? I'm a believer, and I still like, oh, I want to be free. That gives me tingles. That's where I want to be. I have to be disciplined. I have to be obedient. And, and hopefully these points here give us some encouragement to, to follow through. That, that your patterns right now might be like, well, I'm not really in God's word. Good grief, change that. You know, even if it's just a little bit. So everybody, everybody got the Bible app? I'm assuming that everybody's got the Bible app, right? So if you don't have the Bible app, get the Bible app. The Bible app is brilliant. And, and if you're not reading scripture, open up the Bible app and read the verse of the day. Read the verse of the day. Get the verse of the day in. Let's do the verse of the day. We don't care about kidsmen. We don't have to get them out of there real quick. So the verse of the day today is... For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Well, I didn't see that one coming. Well, that just kind of like falls right in here, doesn't it? For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer, the closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you will receive even more. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Even if you just read that verse and contemplate it for a couple of minutes, if you're not doing anything else, there's your first step. There is your first step. And if you're doing, if you're doing that, then your next step is, is, is more. 
you know, the next step after that is not 15 chapters a day every day for the rest of the year. It could be like, oh, I'm going to read, I'm going I'm to focus on Ephesians. I'm going to read that this week. The plea is, good grief, do something. Do something and make that a habit. Do something and make that a pattern. And then do a little bit more. It's not a sprint. It is transformation. It is transformation. This morning you might be sitting here thinking, you know what? Oh, I want that transformation. I'm not a believer. I don't even, I don't even have that. I don't even have that, that first step down that, that I, got, I got no relationship with Jesus. I've been coming to church and church is cool, but I, just, I don't fully understand it all. You know, raise your hand if you understand it all. No hands up. Mine went down really quick. You're not gonna. But you can understand more. And you can start that path. You can start that journey. You know, at, at Simple Church, we offer all sorts of, of different next steps Grow groups is a step. Growth track is a step. Serving in a ministry is a step. Reading, reading a verse is a step. Prayer and fasting. We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. That, that that's a step. My encouragement to you is, is that you do something and you do something in community. That, that on your own, you are screwed. You are not going to go anywhere. You'll have this willpower for a little bit and willpower fades fast. If you are on your own, you are in trouble. We provide opportunities for you to not be on your own. That, that this walk, this, this understanding of, of Jesus and his word, this, this, this growth happens with others around you, and, and this room's pretty full. There are people here that not only want to walk with you, but need you to walk with them as well. That you might be thinking, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nobody, I'm, I'm, I'm not very far in this Christian path, and yet there is somebody here that needs you. Pl- plug in. Again, do something in particular with others so that they can give you the support and encouragement that you need to walk this path to keep you from going off the wrong way, to keep the understanding growing and not disappearing. But first, that first step might be coming to Jesus, having your coming to Jesus moment that, that, that it's like, okay, so today I take the first step of, of confessing and believing, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believing that, okay, he is who he said he is and I'm gonna move in this direction. I don't understand all that that looks like but today is the first step. If that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a prayer. The prayer is not magic, but it's an opportunity for you to do just that. Confess and believe and start that journey on your own with others. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, if that's you, if, that's, if, if you're saying, you know what, I want to know the truth, I want to be set free, I, I, I want to know this, I want, to, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know you more. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. No one's looking, but if that's you, and today is your first step, let's take that first step. So I'm going to say this prayer, and, and everybody can join along. Nobody has to pray alone. Um, here we go. Father, 
I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity to take a first step. Please be with me as I walk this path and that you give me understanding and set me free. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.